You're listening to Brave Not Perfect with Reshma Sajani, presented by Anchor and Girls Who Code. Hey, it's Reshma. Thanks for joining me and welcome to Brave Not Perfect, where we talk with changemakers all across the world who have one thing in common, even if they don't know it. At some point in their journey, all my guests have decided that it's better to just jump in and try to make things better now, instead of waiting until they had all the skills and knowledge. They decided that it was better to be brave, not perfect. Today, I'm talking with someone who I am obsessed with, Ashley Edwards, the CEO and founder of MindRight, a startup that helps low-income high school students recover from trauma by using the best way to reach them, a text message. I saw her pitch her idea at a lunch that Elle had done, and I was just amazed with her commitment and her idea and the impact that she's making on so many lives. I started by asking her about how she came up with this idea and what inspired her vision. MindRight's mission is to empower youth of color to heal from trauma from systems of oppression. So we do that by providing personalized mental health coaching all over text message to teenagers. So how did this idea come to you? I actually met my co-founder at Stanford's business school. We were in the joint degree program with the School of Education uh-huh. and getting our MBA. And we both had a passion for just supporting and empowering uh, low-income youth and, and youth of color specifically. And we both had previous experiences just seeing the impact of trauma on our students and on our loved ones. Because you're both teachers, right? Um, so I, I was not a teacher, but right. I was director of operations of a charter school. Okay. And in that role, I ended up being more so of an informal social worker yep. to my students. Yep. And my co-founder, Alina, she did a lot of tutoring in, in D.C. and Oakland. And so we've both seen similar things, just lack of complete support and acknowledgement of what our students are really facing. Yeah. So you're finishing your MBA at Stanford, mm-hmm. and you're both like, let's start a company? Or, how, or is there a project you're working on? Like... Yeah, so I came to Stanford with the intention of starting a venture okay. for my like for my students because yeah. I left that experience working education just feeling like I owed my students so much because I learned so much from them, and so I, d- I didn't know what the re- direction necessarily that was going to go in, but um, I started taking entrepreneurship classes at Stanford, and that's where me and Alina met and we're in a group project together, and so yeah. we ended up working on MindRight as a result of several different classes. We ended up coming to the idea with that. And so how does it exactly work? Yeah, so as if a student wants to use MindRight, they just text our number to sign up. It's 886-886. They text us. And then from that moment forward, they'll choose a two-hour time window each day where they want to hear from a MindRight coach. And from that day forward, a MindRight coach will check in with them seven days a week, 365 days a year, just ask them how they're feeling, what's going on, I'm here, if there's anything you want to vent or just a place to express yourself. And it's really the students drive the conversation each day. Right. What is normally what what are the types of trauma these kids are facing? And what are they what are they like talking to their coaches about? When every student starts, we do a screen for adverse childhood experiences as an indicator of trauma because we found that especially in neighborhoods with concentrated poverty, we assume that a lot of kids are going through trauma, but we don't actually know the data or the numbers right. of what the extent is. So right. we do that, and we find that the most common experience is exposure to community violence. There's also a lot of kids who are impacted by mass incarceration, and um, there are kids who have been sexually abused or violated. And so, granted, this doesn't necessarily come up in every conversation, and we definitely take our time to build trust with students. We don't force them to tell us anything. Yeah. Um, so day to day, it might look like, you know, 
I can't stand my teacher or school is stressful or they're always getting on me about attendance right. or I'm trying to break out with my boyfriend, help me. Um, but underlying those issues, there are, you know, historical and um, there's historical trauma there that makes those issues, day-to-day issues, more complicated. So how does it work? I'm a student. I sign up for your site and I say, I want help with X. And then I form a relationship with somebody and then they text me or like every like you said, as frequently as you can set. Yeah, as, frequent, as frequently as you set. And for some kids, we, we ask them all, what do you want to get out of mind right when they're using it? Some will say, I just want to feel less angry. Or some will say, I just want someone to talk to. Yeah. Um, and so. Are these humans sending the texts? These are humans, absolutely. So how do you recruit them? So my co-founder leads coach recruiting and training. So we usually look at, we have a lot of young professionals who just want to volunteer but are constrained by time. And being able to text while sitting on your couch at home on a laptop, it, yeah. just, it removes that barrier. Then we have also those who are in school for social work or former teachers who have that expertise. And all our coaches go through about 20 hours of rigorous training um, led by our director of student support who's, who was a former psychiatric social worker and school leader. Wow. And so there's a lot of training involved. Tell me what's the impact? Like what's happened? Yeah. On a qualitative level, a lot of our students are just telling us, you know, MindRight is really the only judgment-free space I mm. have to express myself, especially young men. Yeah. Um, and so we also do, obviously, like quantitative Im- impact measures as well. So in our pilot after our first years, over 97% of kids reported that MindRight had helped them improve in stress management. Wow. And we're just undergoing... Um, comparative studies right now to look at really the impact of MindRight on school outcomes like attendance and behavior. So working with a lot of schools and um, the Newark Public Schools uh, School District to see what those results are, and that's happening right now. What's like what was success for you, like when you started it and now, or is it the same or is it different? Oh, that's a great question. Um, when we first started, I was looking at success as just really. <laughs> Is this something that kids even want to do? Just texting someone, like yeah. texting someone you don't know, will this even like catch on? And I think now it's just seeing the power of being that holding space for people who usually don't have that either a platform or um, just an environment where they feel like all their feelings are valid. Yeah. And so, I mean, my goal now is I want everyone to know at least there's at least one adult who cares and who they can trust. And the fact is that for the populations that we work with in and like these incredibly resilient communities of color that have been through so much, so many kids feel like they don't have anyone yeah. at all. And, that, and they're alone. Yeah. Has this changed that for them, though? Do you feel like kids now feel more like there's somebody out there who cares about me and that's like shifted something inside of them? Yeah. I'll talk about one student yeah. in particular, um, a student from Camden, New Jersey, who was 17 and formerly incarcerated in an adult prison um, before he even graduated high school. <sighs> and he had a lot of issues because when he came back to school, people were scared of him. People had all these assumptions about him. His family had kicked him out the house. He was homeless. And he wow. told us, you know, we had, we had been texting him for over a year now. And he was like, you know, almost basically everyone in my life has left me and you guys are still here. And that's, we want to be those people who help them believe in humanity again. That's amazing. What have you learned as a woman of color entrepreneur? Like, (laughs) it is so hard. (laughs) It is incredibly challenging. But you're doing it. Yes. (laughs) We are doing it. Um, I mean, yeah, fundraising is challenging. Doing this work 
um, feeling so connected to the issues and the communities we're serving, but trying to still needing to remove myself to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, that balance, the self-care balance is hard. I was just talking about this yesterday, right? It's Because I feel like when you're in the social justice space, which you are mm-hmm. in addition, right? To yeah. It's like you feel like you're never allowed to take a break because there's just, there's too, there's too much to do. There's too many kids, too many people to help. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. Um, self-care is something we talk about a lot. It's one of our organizational values and it's something I'll say that I am not the best at. So I was about to say, what's your self-care routine? So my co-founder and I have this policy where if you need a break, you just take it. There's unlimited vacation, PTO, whatever you want to call it. Um, But beyond that, (laughs) we found that when we're implementing that, we don't always take that break, (laughs) even though it's open to us. So every month, we make sure that each of us has one week week on off, at least. We hold ourselves accountable to that. Um, Also, just intentional breaks for the whole team. So for example, at the end of the school year, recognizing what hard work the school year has been, giving everyone some time just to process, reflect, be on their own before we go into a deep dive in the summer so um just kind of like setting that standard that it's okay and you know we want everyone to be able to bring their full selves there especially since the work we're doing is so emotionally challenging at times so self-care is vitally important it's hard i mean i um even in my work i am so um i take what happens to my girls to heart yeah and so it's it's really how how do you not let it break you because there's so many kids out there that we are just yeah that need our help. I I feel fortunate because with Mindright, there is obviously a lot of trauma. But since we're talking to them every day, we also catch them on really good days. So yeah. we get to celebrate their wins. Like someone just won their basketball game. They get a lot of kids got into college the past couple of months. And so that's to be on that journey with that full journey with them. We get to see all the sources of strength in their life and joy. So that that keeps me going. Yeah. So what's it been like raising money? <laughs> Building capital, building your business. Yeah. Um, so that is a part. <laughs> Raising money is a part I like least yeah. <laughs> under my responsibilities as CEO. And we actually went through a transition with Mindright where the first year our mission was to help at-risk youth recover from trauma. And over the summer, we changed our mission to to empower youth of color to heal from trauma from systemic oppression. And so we changed that, one, to be more strength-based, Two, to acknowledge that, you know, attacking structural racism is just part of this work. Like, this yeah. is social justice work. Yeah. And then three, being really explicit that we're serving youth of color. Yeah. And that transition has been hard from a fundraising standpoint. Because, right, they think it's too narrow. Yeah, they think it's too narrow. Why don't you serve white kids? Does this right. mean, like, a white kid can't text you? Right, right. <laughs> and so we've just learned, I mean... One of our, also one of our values is being unapologetic. And so that was like, if we're going to be unapologetic, let's just say this, let's put our stake in the ground. We're here to center the voices and experiences of youth of color. But, you know, some funders have been like, you know, I applaud you, but that's not for me. Well, it's crazy. I mean, something like less than 20 black women have gotten over a million dollars of seed capital. I mean, we do not fund the best ideas, quite frankly, because yeah. we have racism and bias and whose ideas that we think are worthy. Yeah. So, like, in doing this, what needs to happen to change that? I think black women founders need to actually be driving, have a leadership role in these conversations because just the conferences that I've been at, yeah, 
the people on the panels are funders, usually white men or women who are leading these large family foundations that have been around for ages and saying they have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the audience members who are founders of color are just confused because we, <laughs> we're not feeling it yet. Right. So um, either I think I think the staff on foundations need to reflect the diversity of the portfolios yeah. that they seek to invest in. So hiring more people of color who can actually see and relate to some of the challenges that we're tackling. We were just at MIT and they just for the first year had like a black data conference, which I thought was mm. just so because it's I mean, you've seen a couple of really powerful articles I saw on black women and infant mortality rates, yeah. right on black men and um, economic opportunities. And you realize that like we have been thinking about like we just don't haven't been collecting the information yeah. to bring about transformative change. And so yeah. I do think that that's we know what we know and anecdotally and what we've seen for hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. But then to be able to quantify it, I guess, right. is something that's important. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, what do you tell young women of color entrepreneurs that are coming, because I'm sure they, they want to talk to you. Like, what do you, what's the advice, what would you have told yourself? Or what's the advice, what's the thing you've learned? I think just personally, having a support network is incredibly important. And I think women of color, we tend to, like, you know, we have to be super women a lot of time and do so many things at once, family responsibilities, startup um, with our team. And it's so important to have a strong community behind you and ask for help, ask for support when you're going through those times. Because yeah. the most important thing is beyond your, your venture is not sustainable if you are not sustainable the way you're living right now and taking care of yourself. So that's what I would, I would yeah. say. We were in Charlotte a couple of weeks ago. We brought a bunch of girls of color together to help them kind of wireframe and think about it. what's one idea you would work on in your community. And it seemed like every single one had to do with mental health. Mm-hmm. What's happening in communities of color, uh, especially amongst our young people? <sighs> yeah. One, I'm glad they were saying that. What we hear a lot from students is just feeling numb. I've taken in so much in my life, I just can't feel anything anymore. And I know that's not right. And so there's this, they know that the way they're living and the way their neighborhoods were set up or what they've experienced has been a failure of humanity. And that realization, I think, it has been a call to action for them to start doing something about it and rec- seeing that mental health is this underlying um, factor. Because in marginalized communities, Concentrated poverty, food deserts, gun violence, mass incarceration has been going on for decades, right? Right. And I think that that buildup and buildup of trauma till it becomes intergenerational trauma where your mom has experienced this, your grandmother has experienced this, and now you are. And in the generation now where everything is so visible due to technology and seeing videos of people getting killed in the street who look like you and... Um, I think that visibility adds another factor where you really can't escape it. And so it's a decision, do I want to keep feeling like this and living like this? And then the answer is no. Yeah, I think it's also, uh, yeah, I think that consciousness about it, because you're right, it's not like it's a new topic. I think that people are talking about it. And I do, I did, I felt so moved by these young women who really wanted to, mm. to do something about it. And, it, and it, it's, it's what you guys are doing, too. Uh, but w- what do you think some of the solutions are? Yeah. Well, the first challenge where 
I hope we are close to a solution sometime soon. It's just a stigma around mental health. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to go from viewing mental health as from a deficit lens to something where, you know, mental, like, I need want to take care of my mental health. Like, I want to take care of my fitness as yeah. opposed to, you know, mental health, you're, you're crazy, you have a disorder. Like, we do focus groups with a lot of youth and in um, uh, low-income communities or just, I think it's a spread not just by social and economic status, but people hear mental health, they think straight jacket, yeah. insane asylum. Yeah. We need to change that. Yeah. You said that a lot of your, a lot of the people who use your service are men. What's the, or, or young boys, what's the, what's the gender difference that you see in mental health issues? I should clarify, the young men that we serve have, have said it's helpful because of the judgment-free space yeah. we have, but actually more of our users are young women. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's about 70% young women. And is it different issues or same issues? <sighs> it's relatively same issues. Yeah. I mean, with boys... I think there's more there about the like feeling a need to be strong. Mm. Um, well, g- girls feel that as well, but at boys, it's it's different. Yeah. So we we see that come up in conversations a bit. Right. There's no space for them to actually emote. Mm-hmm. Right. If you had a magic wand, what would you want? <laughs> oh my gosh, a lot. <laughs> If I had a magic wand, I would want every person of color to have access to free therapy to just address all the structural and systemic um, barriers that we faced. Why therapy? Therapy because I think that we just need space (laughs) to process our emotions and um, understand that you know, a lot of times, like, we're, we're not crazy. There are systems that have been set up, like, thinking about our self-esteem, our relationship with our family members. There's a lot that has gone on in communities of color that we have not healed from yet. Mm. So I ask all my guests, what's their brave, not perfect moment? <sighs> Do you know what yours is? Brave, not perfect. What's something happened that you did that you were like, felt like in your life you were doing everything that you were supposed to do and you said screw it. I think I think that goes back to our mission statement. There was one funder in particular where we knew if we had kept our old mission statement, they would have given us, you know, money that could have just helped so greatly with what we wanted to accomplish and we were broke, we had no money and just being like, you know, we were meeting them at their home and before the meeting we were just like you know forget it like we 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 believe in serving youth of color and we're not going to change even though we know we need this we haven't been paying ourselves our team needs money we need to recruit more people and so we went in there and we told them that and to walk away from the opportunity it was just like it was this a mistake or not I don't think it was a mistake but it was a mistake it was brave yeah it's brave so great to meet you, Ashley. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Wow, Ashley uh, is incredible. And I think that the attention that she's calling to this issue is so, so important. The idea that, you know, her, her wish was to get, you know, every person of color therapy, I thought was really, really powerful. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Got a question for me? Send us a note at bravenotperfectpodcast at gmail.com. 
or call in directly via the Anchor app on your phone. Until next time, this has been an episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani.